Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, uh, we're back on the show today. Um, it's Thursday, July 7th. It's going to be uh, just a different feel today because it's got some not fun stuff to talk about. Uh, so I've got with me my good friend, Sean Adams. Uh, you know, Sean, he's been on once before. He's got an MBA from Georgetown. <laughs> he's smart. He was an All-American, played D1 college football, Austin celebrity because he's a sports guy. Sports, what is it? I say it wrong every time. No, no, that's true. The only thing that I have br- brought to this table is my hair. That's the only thing. And you got the bomb hair. I know that's all, but you got the education, you're popular, everyone loves you, and that's why you're on the show. Do you like that intro? No. That was a good intro. Well, okay. Okay. Um, all right, so let's just jump right part into this. Part of it was true. Which part? I just The smallest part. <laughs> the whole thing was true. No, I think it's... Um... We were at lunch last week, and they, they treat you like you're the mayor. <laughs> they do. Hey, hey, Sean, can hey, what's can I get a picture? Hey, what's up, man? What's Stop up, it. Okay, that's true. Thanks for being on here. No, I mean I'm okay. honored you asked me. And you just told me after this, what are you doing? I'm shooting some TV for a big company, and I hope it it runs. We'll can see. That's why I do, that's why I don't announce it because who knows? People are like I stayed, I stared at it all day, and you weren't there. So it could be pretty big. We'll see. I'll put it out on social media at some point if it happens. <laughs> Which which is a bigger deal, being on the publication, which we're not going to mention, or this podcast? Oh, this podcast. For, for sure. sure. For sure. For sure. Without a doubt. It's Luke and his hair. <laughs> and his Euro F1 dress. <laughs> At least you're not wearing one of those shirts buttoned up to the top. <laughs> What's wrong with those shirts buttoned up to the Nothing. top? Nothing. It's, it's very F1-ish. Hey, didn't you tell me one time that your your kids think I dress well? They do. Yeah, so don't... Yeah. Well, my daughter's 14, too. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, I'm cool with that. <laughs> That's true. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. And as you guys might have mentioned, Sean and I are part of the, or might have noticed, Sean and I are part of the same church. And so, there's that as well. Um, okay. So, um, yesterday, there was um, the news about the shooting. Um in Baton Rouge. Yeah. And um, I was trying to think all day what to to say to respond. Um, after the Orlando shooting, I remember my wife reached out to um, one of her uh, coworkers, uh, a gay gentleman, and just wanted to say, hey, we love you, care about you. And he said something about, you know, that means a lot to me. Like, he- hearing real Christians like you who really care about me during this time and— uh, I thought, man, I need to say something. I need to be a part of this conversation to say I care about what's going on. This is a big deal. It matters, um, especially to my black friends who are experiencing this in a different way from me. And so we texted last night, and I said, hey, let's talk about this. You said yes. Uh, I'd seen your Facebook post, which we'll get to in a second. And I thought, okay, we'll definitely have something to talk about. Well, uh, this morning, it was like 4 o'clock, and my daughter Adeline wakes me up. She's scared, and so she, whatever, wants to come sleep in the bed, cuddle. And I'm saying, sure, great, come on in. But then I can't go back to sleep. Right. It's four. You, you, but you're up at four o'clock. Yeah, so I, I'm out of bed. Yeah, I don't, I don't do that. Um, I'm not on at 6 a.m. If I had to be on at 6 a.m., it would be, no one would want to hear that. I, I'm not sure anybody wants to hear me at <laughs> six. I kind of warm it up as I go. <laughs> okay, so I uh, can't go back to sleep. 
So I checked the uh, the Twitter to see the latest on the John Jones UFC fighter who, like an idiot, got tested for steroids or whatever he got busted for. Yeah. Um, and I was expecting to find the follow up to that, and then I see this video of this guy, Philando Castile. I think that's how you say his name yeah. from um, outside of Minneapolis in Minnesota, and it was one, it's might be the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. And all I could say was. Uh, not again, man. Not again. It's like one day after this. Um, you saw it this morning, I guess? Yeah, I did. Um, you know, and it's hard because <laughs> the conversations that come out of this stuff, some of them are good. Some of them are shocking. And I'm always looking at it from a standpoint of I don't know how people aren't disgusted by this. And, you know, I talked about yesterday that in a lot of cases we, we see madmen like the gentleman in, in South Carolina who went into a prayer group and somehow situations tend to be diffused in many ways. Yeah. And then some of these situations can't be diffused. And then I have people that really have the audacity to reach out to me and say, well, I'm sick of hearing about racism. Well, you know, I'm kind of sick of living it. And the hard part for me is that we don't listen to each other. So it's, it's, it's a struggle for me to listen to somebody tell me, man, it's, I don't want to hear about this or I'm sick of hearing about racism. If you don't deal with it, maybe you should listen. It's the equivalent of me going, me going to a woman who's dealing with issues as a woman and telling her, I don't want to hear it. I'm mm -hmm. not a woman. I don't know. Maybe I should shut up and listen. Mm -hmm. What do you, what do you think listening? I mean, how, how, I'm a white guy. How would I listen? What, what are things that I can do to listen to understand the other side of the issue. Well, the only thing you can do is try to learn and get close and build relationships. It's why kind of what I wrote yesterday, we have to build relationships with people. We've all went into a new job, went on to a new team and had trepidation going in. And then you get to sit down with people and get to know them. It's one of the reasons why I use sports in comparison to life all the time. And I just did a seminar called the power of the huddle. And uh, I look at sports in the huddle as the most sacred place in sports. You get mm -hmm. black and white, north and south, rich and poor, conservative, liberal. You put them in the same huddle. You put the same color jersey on them. You push them in the same direction, and special things start to take place. But that only takes place through me getting to know him, yeah. me getting to know this person. That's why it can't just be um, I send my kid to a mission trip because I want my kid to get some perspective and be it. it that's a one-day, two-day, three-day thing, and he comes back home to this homogeneous environment unless you get to know people, then I don't know that it goes away and you get to know people through listening, no. through contact. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, uh, unless you actually have a relationship with someone who's different from you, you will never get the full extent of their experience. Well, and it's all taught too. You have to remember, even, you know, my, my dad's from Gaston, North Carolina. My mom's from Biloxi, Mississippi. One of the reasons why they were very much intent on not raising me, my brother and sister in the deep South is because of that type of thing. Really? Kids grow up and the kids at two and three and four are playing with each other. They only separate as they get older and they're taught from adults that they shouldn't be together, that they are very different. And that's how it comes. So my parents, it's ironically enough, my dad got out of the army in Germany, came home to North Carolina and it was the turbulent 60s, and both my parents were in the civil rights movement and doing work. And they finally, uh, uh, once, my, once my brother was born, I think they finally said, hey, we're doing whatever we have to do. We don't have any money. 
we're packing up and we're moving west because and my mom told me this just a few years ago and i saw it live when i'm at places like the masters that is really old culture the masters golf tournament my mom said you know what we needed to bring you up in an area that was more diverse but not only that we didn't want you growing up every day and the only thing you saw was black people serving at the pleasure of white people so that's what it turns into. And they were just intent on not raising us in the deep south. What do you think the difference of your experience growing up in Oakland, right? Yeah. Yeah, growing up in Oakland compared to your kids growing up Austin. Um, I mean, it's obviously think, a different age, different well, time period. I think, I think the difference is probably just the um, – it's probably closer because of the level of diversity because my kid's school has a – a bunch of diversity, really not socioeconomic diversity. I wish they had that more, but they have more diversity in regards to race, race and ethnicity and, and culture. Mm-hmm. And I grew up with a lot of that. I mean, I grew up eating lumpia and pancit because I grew up around Filipino people. And I, I don't up, even know what that is. I grew up around Guamanian people speaking Tagalog. And so I grew up a lot of people, you know, Samoan people. My offensive line in high school, Fui Manu, Chugalov, Filikatonga. Uh, I mean, it was those kind of – so um, growing up in a diverse culture – was something that I had, and I, I knew my history, and my parents in, ensured that that we knew what was going on. But if you think about it, and I told you this earlier, the different ways we have to raise our kids. If and I had somebody reach out to me, an elder who reached out to me and said, "I think," and he's and he said, "This is me, me too." That we have a, you know, I kind of look at racism as an abstraction. Is it really happening, or are people playing the race card? I was like, but that stuff goes away if you get to know somebody. Mm-hmm. I mean, I called him and told him a couple stories, and he was like, really? I mean, just the, the simplest of stuff. I live in a pretty, uh, a pretty average little neighborhood. We have a neighborhood pool. We all pay our little HOA fees every month, mm-hmm. and they can go to the pool. There's not a lot of diversity there. And I've had to raise my son very differently, and you have to do that with black kids. It, it's sad as it is. You just have to. Mm-hmm. Um, so my son and – two of the other black kids in our neighborhood that he plays football with, they kind of don't want to go to the pool sometimes unless one of their white friends is with them because they'll go to the pool and parents come to them and it's pure race, the reason why they do it. And this is 2016. They come to them. Do you guys live in this neighborhood? And I've had to just tell my son, hey, you got carte blanche. Say whatever you want. And I've told my son, hey, you need to look that adult right back in the face and say, did you go ask those white kids that they live in this neighborhood? Why are you asking me? Hmm. So, oh my gosh. Just those <laughs> ways that I have to work with my kids in mm-hmm. 2016 because that's the way it is. Yeah. So one of the comments I got after I posted something about, hey, we need to be, you know, I don't even remember what I said. But one of the many terrible things that was tweeted back at me was, um, did uh, we need to tell that, man to not resist the police or something like that and which is true like i i don't want my aunt who's a cop to have to ever uh deal with someone who's being violent towards them or resisting or i don't want any of that of course not i don't want absolutely my, my friends who are police officers to deal with that of course not um but there's no way you can undo what goes through when you grow up year after year of people pulling you over because you're african-american or you're in the pool as a 15 year old kid and someone goes, do you live here like you can't just erase that and pretend like that doesn't affect how you interact with white people especially white people in positions of authority right and um in some ways 
authority hadn't always been nice. Yeah. I grew up in Oakland where the relationship between the police officers and the citizens is horrible. And I know cops. I know cops here in Austin. I've participated in charities, Blue Santa, whatever, you name it. But, okay, I'll admit it. I'm 45 years old. If I'm driving down the street right now and a cop's behind me, I pull into the shopping center or something on the right, let him go by, then I pull back out. You still do that? Yes. When was the last time you And did people that? can call me crazy for doing that. I, I, I did it within the last year. Huh. And, like, you know, and people might say, people might say, Sean, you had no reason to do that. I probably didn't. But that's what, that's my mindset. So I am constantly in a, okay, let me give you this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to be Mr. Storyteller. I like stories. And I had to, um, I, I, I did. I, I filed my little report with the state and all this stuff. And I knew nothing would come of it. But a couple years ago, I'm pulling out of my neighborhood. Pulled, pulled over by a DPS trooper. So, I mean, he's not a sheriff in Williamson County where I live. He's not a police officer where I live. It was a DPS trooper, supposed to be patrolling the highways. He pulls me over. I'm going four miles an hour over the speed limit when he pulls me over. Hmm. Uh, well, I don't care. I drive a BMW. He asked me, is this your car? <laughs> <laughs> and I'd, I'd, um, I was in sweats. I was had been working out. So I was in shorts. I'd, I'd I wasn't cleaned up, as they would like to say. Um, so he pulls me over. And over the course of the being pulled over, I said, so why did I get pulled over? And he goes, oh, I'm just trying to keep my neighborhood safe. I said, well, cool. My kids live here, too, so thanks. But why did I get pulled over? And he gave me the just trying to keep my neighborhood safe three times. Walked around the car like he was trying to find something. Finally, he gave me a warning. It was no big deal. He gave me a warning. I was going four miles an hour over the speed limit. But I know it was race-based. And there's nothing, there's nothing I can do about that. And this is why we have to educate people to get out of this notion that racism is an abstraction. Yeah. Like they don't really know what it is. Like people are playing the race card. People don't play the race. I don't know anybody. I know there's some people that may eat off racism. But I don't do that. Yeah. But that's what, and those are little things. And that's why I don't have a problem when I, when I basically go at DPS for doing that and I file my, and I talk about it on my radio show, what happened. I have no problem doing that because to me, that's nothing compared to what my parents went through in sit-ins in Winston-Salem, mm-hmm. North Carolina, or in marches and stuff like that. So I have no, it's nothing compared to what they do with this little DWB driving while black stuff <laughs> is nothing. But I'm going to point it out yeah. because you know what? My son is black, and he's going to be driving at some point. And hopefully the system gets better as we move along. We still have to remember it was 400 years of of slavery and inequity. Yeah. And that just started getting legislation behind it in the 60s with the Civil Rights Act and the Voters' Rights Act. So we're, we're, you know, we're 50 years removed from that. So. That's a long time to just undo. Uh, it's, it's a long time to undo because you, only, you don't have a whole lot of time. I mean, there's a lot of people. Oh, let me give you this one. I'm sorry. You're, I'm sorry. You're good. <laughs> when I was in college and people, when I was in college, there was somebody that told, uh, there was somebody told my wife and she's white, told her what's going to happen when the race war breaks out. She still works at that college right now. 
So that becomes the problem to me <laughs> because Her, the race war, like, yes. Oh gosh. Yes. Somebody also called her family and said, uh, she's in jeopardy of losing her scholarship because she's dating me. So when I, when I think about those kind of things, there are people in their sixties and seventies right now that were absolutely okay with what was going on in the sixties. And it's a struggle. Uh. It's a, it's, it's a struggle. So, um, we are, we are constantly beating it back. We're constantly trying to grow and I'm not under the illusion. I have some big, hard, complicated life, but we're trying to make it better every day. Mm. I, I hope my kids' generation is better than what I had because I think mine is better than what my parents had. Yeah. But it has to keep better. But we can't get better unless we start listening to each other. Yeah, I think I think you're completely right on. And there's a difference of hearing about driving while black from a Jay Z song, and then actually knowing someone who's had this experience over and over again. Or you know, I hear it from. I, I mean, it's just. It's mind blowing, and I of course have, I've never <clears throat> had to have the talk with my like I don't have to, I probably will never have to have the talk with my kids about how to act when you get pulled over. Like I'll just, okay, be nice, you know, pull over, un- turn the car off. That's it. Like that's. That- I tell my son right now, ten and two, never move your hands, keep them right. I mean, because my son's sixteen now, he's got his learner's permit, okay. he'll have a driver's license soon, and I have to give him all that. Ten and two. Don't move. No quick movements. Don't go in the glove box. Don't change the CD. I have to give them all that. Yeah. Did you see the? Um, I saw the first couple of minutes of an interview that CNN did with the. I guess it was the mom and the uncle of uh, the Mr. Castile who yeah. passed away, and watching. Obviously, the mom was extremely upset as she should be, and then the I guess the uncle. The look on it, like I couldn't even describe the look on his face. And as someone who probably sees himself in that situation, going, "What if that was my kid?" Like, how, I, I, I can't imagine that. Like, I, I assume it completely changes the dynamic of me going, "That is unjust." And then someone going, "That could have been my kid." Well, it is, huh. and but that's the way you have to look at it. And let's be honest about this: my conversations can be very different with my son than they are with my daughter who's a year and a half younger because there is a difference between the way men are treated in some cases than the women. And, you know, and, and a lot of it comes back to fear. I mean, there is, there's a fear of black men, period. And I don't know if, I don't know if there's any way to get around it. Yeah. There, there's a, a fear by cops. There's a fear by people. Um, you don't notice this because you wear black, these little medium shirts you wear. But, <laughs> it's, a, but, it's a large jerk. But, uh, but, I mean, I get it. If I Here's the deal. <laughs> when I'm dressed, it's almost like when I used to live in New York and I wore a suit four days a week to work mm-hmm. and everything was fine. And then on Friday, on dress down day, I couldn't catch a cab. <laughs> a cab uh. wouldn't stop for me. But it's the same way now. If I'm wearing, If I'm wearing a suit... Or something like that. In some cases, in most cases, nobody, hey, how you doing? Nobody's got a problem. If I'm looking like I'm going to work out or if I have on just some Nike stuff or something, yeah, you see purses get clutched tighter. Now, I've learned, too, through my parents' education, I diffuse situations. You know, if I get on an elevator and it's a bunch of old white ladies on there, I'm the first one to say, ladies, how are y'all doing today? I hope y'all have a great day. Have you thought it about, diffuses everybody? What I the, shouldn't have to do that. Though. I know, but let me give you a suggestion. What if you did the like to cuff the pants like I do? Have you thought about that? Yeah, that just looked bad. Then. 
No, and see, that's the thing, though. It all de- it's everybody's view. Mm-hmm. It's funny. If I dress like you, nobody say anything. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Don't hate on my clothes. They give me cookies. <laughs> I didn't know what to say about that. Okay, so you, you tweeted or you Facebooked or po- whatever you did. Social media, that's a verb with me, uh, about the church's involvement. Like, yeah. we need to say something. We're very vocal about a lot of things. Um, but we're, we're not that vocal about this. And you go back and look at the history of the church and we've been very silent about a lot of issues. And you specifically with race relations and slavery, the church preached for slavery using book, chapter and verse. Uh, when it came to segregation, um, my alma mater, your alma mater, uh, Hardy university, which I went to other Christian universities only, um, did away with their segregation policy when the government said we're going to stop giving you tax dollars right the year after um the religious right which a lot of people believe was founded on the issue of abortion um ed dobson was one of the founders has been quoted saying it had nothing to do with abortion from the very beginning the the evangelical church was very silent on abortion for many years uh the issue that started the religious right Mm -hmm. segregation they wanted to keep their all-white schools, and the religious right became the mouthpiece for that political conviction of basically racism. And that's always been that's always been my point. The the mm-hmm. the silence there, um, because if we again if we look at the history, I'll take it a step further. The church was the backbone for that stuff, especially mm-hmm. in the South. Everything was about good old Christian morals and values, and segregation was perpetuated. Oh, yeah. By the church. Mm-hmm. So uh, the only thing the only thing I've said now is that it, and how ironic would it be is if it, most of this stuff was started and initiated and perpetuated through the church that I'm a believer now that thinks. People that believe in that they have faith in Jesus Christ might be the only group that can do away with it, mm-hmm. the, the only group that can help it. But. It comes to it, it. It comes to making noise, and and I don't understand it, mm-hmm. and I, I don't understand why the the church would be silent on it. I don't understand why they don't stand up against it. They do. They say they have a lot to say about a lot of stuff, but you know we go back and America's still its most segregated on Sunday mornings. Yeah, yeah, most segregated hour. So if you had the chance to talk to some pastors, preachers, like I'm assuming you do right now, um, that are listening. What would you say would be a place for them to start? Like if they've, if they've never broached the subject in their work as a pastor, what would you say would be a place for them to start doing something? I, I think you have to build. I think you have to build relationships. It's the only thing that really matters is, is building relationships because if you build relationships, you will figure out that people aren't so different than you. Mm-hmm. And this goes both sides too. I mean, because we got we, we to gotta get out of this notion and – I have a family member's church that I go to, and they're like, oh, my goodness, you wear jeans. We got to get out of this stuff. <laughs> we we got to get out of the silly stuff that has nothing to do with the relationship with Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and following the example of Jesus Christ. And if we can have those kind of conversations, that's what it means to me. I, I, don't, I don't know. I think it's great for my kids to see perspective. So if they were to go on a mission trip to a church in a different city and see people live very different than them. I'm not sure that my kids aren't getting more out of that than the people they're helping. Oh yeah, completely. But I, I have to think we got to get local. We got to quit going for the sex, 
Wait, can I say sexy on a preacher's podcast? Yeah, sure. Okay. I, we have to quit going for the sexy trip. Oh, my goodness. I went and was a mission here. Mm-hmm. Oh, I went and I was a mission here. So you know I should we need cancel. To do? We need to go across town. Should I cancel my mission trip to Hawaii <laughs> for next summer? Exactly. Because I really feel the Lord's calling me. I was me going to, to Turks and Caicos. <laughs> no. Um, uh, go across I, the street. I think we have to go across the street and across town. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's a chicken dinner. I don't know if it's a lunch. I don't know if, if it's Sunday night service where people get together and... But unless we start to know people and listen to people, mm-hmm. I don't know that anything changes. We, 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 I mean, because, again, I had an elder reach out to me last night and talk about racism being an abstraction. I don't know if you can sit down and talk to people and hear real stories, even about the slight stuff that I have to deal with and how I have to raise my son differently than other people have to raise theirs, um, that you can keep it on that level without understanding yeah, we got some real problems. And if we're trying to be like Jesus, follow his example. Yeah, eat, eat, eat some meals together. I, I would assume that maybe calling up, if you're a white pastor, calling up the black pastor down the road and saying, hey, you want to get a chicken dinner, might not be the best language to use. You Probably might, not. You might sound like Fuzzy Zeller uh, with <laughs> exactly. Tiger Woods. There's a golf reference. With some watermelon, right. Yeah, so one of the people I've Ironically, got- I'm the brother that's allergic to all melons, so I kill the stereotype. But go oh, ahead. I love watermelon. I can't eat it. Well, you're missing it's out. It's sad. It's awesome. Um, so I've gotten to know a little bit um, a pastor from the L.A. area, Fate, you know. Oh, hey, good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we uh, we were a part of a conference at the same time, and so I've gotten to spend a little bit of time with him. And I've been reading his Facebook comments the last day or two. I don't know if you've seen them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he talked about having a gun put on his face, being uh, told to lie down on the ground, forced down. And just the – this is a very – I have a lot of respect for this guy and it's one thing for me. I still see, see myself as a young man, almost like a kid in some degrees. Cause I look even younger than I am that it's one thing you put a kid like my age on the ground, but to see a respected man like that have to go through it. It's just demeaning. And, uh, I can't imagine someone doing that to one of my white well-known pastors and the disgrace and the disrespect and the humiliation that they would go through. Um, but that's, well, and, and look, I, th- I think we have to, you look at situations like that. I don't, I've never had a gun pulled on me, mm-hmm. but there are all different grades of it. Oh. And until we start to educate people on how things happen and why things happen, then I don't know that anything gets better. And that's why it's even the, the slight stories I gave you about my son mm-hmm. and about me being pulled over in my car is this your neighborhood do you live here oh even how would how would you get to your house he asked you that yeah, so he's, it's like he's trying to give me the sat <laughs> it's like <laughs> let me test this joker see if he really knows where he lives so it's stuff like that which kind of puts that that fear and that distrust of a public system now luckily i know enough sheriffs and sheriff deputies and cops where i know they're not all bad well, we talked about this before we started today. One of the things I've always understood, I understand there's bad people that do what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, there are bad financial analysts. There's bad, there, there, there are preachers that don't do the right thing. They're all, in every, uh, every profession, there's bad people. Yeah. Coaches, you name it. Somehow, I struggle that if a bad cop is pointed out, other cops stay with the fraternal order and won't say anything. And there's, there's protection mode there. Mm-hmm. Where in every profession, the numbers will bear it out. In every pr- profession, there's bad people. Bad people get through the cracks. That's just the way it goes. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, when it comes to law enforcement, 
for the most part, law enforcement won't call it out. And if you do, you move to the other sides where you begin to be ostracized yeah. by, your, by, your, by the blue. Now, you were one of the, the more outspoken people about the terrible crimes that were committed at Baylor by the football team against women. Yeah. Um, and what you see is the same thing in that situation, same thing you probably saw at Penn State um, with Joe Paterno covering up for uh, Sandusky, is that yeah, his name right? Jerry Sandusky. Um, where y- you have these large institutions where people don't want to destroy the institution, they don't want to call someone out at the, at the sake of the victims. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it's not just a cop thing. It's like this is an institution thing. Like we want to cover up churches through this. There's unfortunately way too many scandals of, um, of yeah. terror. Yeah. And I made some people upset on my radio show and they, they asked me because – and maybe this is where I am. I hold Baylor to a different standard because Baylor, they have it in their mission. They're trying to be with Christian values. You mm-hmm. have it in your mission. You're open and blatant about um, being against – even premarital sex, but you can't attack sexual assault. So at yeah. some point we have to ask real questions. And I think those were two specific situations too, where you had small towns with one newspaper and one radio station yeah. and it's tied to the university. And sometimes in those small towns and small environments, you get too much hero worship and, you mm. know, guys worship guys that's what we do and it's it, it's you know guys wear jerseys you'll never see you'll, i'm serious you'll never see a woman wearing a suze orman jersey or an oprah jersey um oh come on people would wear the oprah jersey. you know it, it just doesn't happen but guys worship guys too much we we love general Patton and we love john wayne and yeah. we worship guys too much and because we do that you got a boy in a shower at Penn State with a man and nobody asking real questions because we worship a guy too much. Mm-hmm. So that that's the stuff we have to be on the lookout for. Yeah. My brother, he's a grown man and he's got he wears jerseys. And See, I I'm I'm more I'm like Jay Z. I don't wear jerseys. I'm 30 plus. <laughs> Give me a crisp pair of jeans and a button up. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I, I don't wear jerseys anymore. The the last jersey I bought was uh, from your alma mater, Georgetown. See the Allen Iverson jersey oh, when yeah. Nike first started repping them with the actual, whatever, and that was when I was like 13. So that was the end of it for me. Um, okay, let me talk about something else. You, <laughs> we were on the phone like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And uh, you say, Luke, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm taking a test to see how racist I am. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. And so there's this, uh, imp- what is it called? The implicit bias test or at- some sort of test that I first got to know through Malcolm Gladwell's writing in Blink, in which he connected that to a story about, um, do you know the Bruce Springsteen song, 41 Shots? Are you a Boss fan? Uh-huh. Is that a- I know born in the USA. <laughs> That's all I know. Okay. Uh, the boss wrote a song that made famous a story about a guy who is, I want to say New Jersey because that's where Bruce is from. But um, he's on his stoop and he's reaching for his wallet when the police show up. And the police mistook that action to grab his wallet to show his ID or his keys or whatever he's reaching for as though he's pulling for a gun. And so they shot him 41 times. And Gladwell talks about... In that split second, in that blink of an eye, you have to make a decision. And even if you know white people, black people, one is not better than the other, you can't undo without a whole lot of training the implicit assumptions you have about other people. But that's the thing, though. The implicit assumptions, what what I would just say is your gut. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the one thing I'm always trying to teach my kids is read a lot. 
it increases your gut. Yeah. <laughs> I'm reading, you know, read, pour into yourself, mm-hmm. pour faith into yourself. Because if you have a lot of junk that's been poured in you, that establishes your gut. Yep. So if it's based in racism, if it's based in stereotypes, if it's based in some innate hatred that you, that you got from the way you were raised, that determines your gut. Yep. And then that determines the fear, which is sometimes why, you know, we might see some white guys get situations get diffused mm-hmm. and why some with black guys end in death because a lot of that time it's fear. He's strong. He's going to get away from me. He's going to kill me. He's rough. He's probably carrying a gun. He's doing this, that it's a bag of Skittles. Who knows what it is, but there's a fear that's there and that fear comes from the gut, but it's what we've poured into ourselves that creates that experience. Yep. Yep. And that's exactly what I think, you know, Gladwell points to is that you, you can work on this. I mean, that's what training comes in. I mean, uh, I've got a buddy named Larry James who was a preacher. Now he runs City Square, which is a nonprofit uh, work in downtown Dallas. Yes, yes, he, he's yes, amazing. Yes. And uh, a guy, guy Cybert that I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cybert now works yeah, as his uh, works with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been there a handful of years, but he was on a couple of month, uh, years ago, and he talked about we just need more training. Like we we have to, as you would say, like enlarge the the gut. Well, that's a bad metaphor. We don't need cops getting fatter. We need to broaden people's perspective and give people more training more education more ability to see past that and i think you get to know people and it changes the whole story like you instead of seeing oh well that's someone i'm scared of that's someone different from me there's fear instead you see oh that's that's my friend that's my brother that's my neighbor that's someone who who my kids go to the pool with and we don't judge them because they have different ethnicity from me yeah um one of the things that um i had a twitter handle um by the name of Trump for 2016, respond to a tweet that I put out last night and listed off the gentleman um, from Baton Rouge who got shot and listed off his uh, his criminal record, which was very long. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely, um, you look at that and you go, it's not, he's a felon. I mean, that's all you can say about it. Just not a high quality individual with the choices he's made. Um, and it'd be easy for people to look at that and go, well, that's just... You know, he got shot. He's a bad guy. That's his problem. Um, you see the story about the guy from Minnesota who works at a school, um, had his concealed handgun license, whatever the details are. Um, it, you, you don't miss the bigger point is that there's a different experience for black people and white people. And you can't deny that there is a different experience and that if you don't do something to learn about that experience, to acknowledge it, to put it on the table, then we can't move forward. You talked about the at the beginning, we don't listen to each other. Um, I think it's difficult for white people to listen because we don't want someone to acknowledge that we have privilege because that somehow disarms us. It dehumanizes. It, it takes away our accomplishments. We don't feel so good about ourselves when we acknowledge, man, I have been born on third base. And the reason I probably got here is probably on the back of cheap labor from people who are not given the same rights as me. Let me, let me, here's the question you have to ask yourself, though. Mm-hmm. Because this dude had a record, seriously, yeah. in Baton Rouge. Yeah. Crazy record. Now, here's the deal. I don't want to hang out with him. I don't probably, I probably don't want to be his friend. Does he deserve to die? Uh, yeah. And I think that's the question you have to ask. And we have to get out of this notion of, we have to look at the process by which things happen and get out of this notion. 
Well, did he have a record? Because then it's justified. We have to get out of that notion. Yeah. Because he, that doesn't mean he deserves to die because his feet ran into mischief. Even if they ran into mischief a lot, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean he deserves to die. He still deserves due process. Yep. He still deserves to, to be treated humanely. And if he runs up against the law, he deserves to go to jail. And I got no problem with that. But he doesn't deserve to die. That's the issue. And, the, you know, we got the we have the, the gun stuff. And I'll say it. I have my concealed handgun license. And you, we have the gun issue. And there's open carry states now. And there are people that do a bunch of we have to learn how to manage around that. I mean, is it the fa- is it going to be a fact now that the white guy that has this concealed handgun license is managed differently than the black guy that has his, or if you're carrying a weapon and in, in an open carry state, is the black guy still under more scrutiny and does he get treated more harshly when you're in an open carry state because he's a citizen as well. Have you rethought that since, I guess it's been just hours since we found out about the guy in Minnesota, Minnesota, but he had his concealed handgun license. And as I've understood the story, he was telling the officer, I have my, CHL, I'm reaching for my. Has that made you rethink carrying yourself? Um, the hard part is, is I've been pulled over since I've had my CHL mm-hmm. when I've had a weapon in the car, and for me, it didn't work out that way. And this is what I'm talking about. All cops aren't bad. We have to get out of that notion. Yep. I've been pulled over. I I know what the laws are. I hand him my driver's license and my CHL. He usually asks me, "Do you have a weapon in the vehicle?" I say, if I have one, I say, yes, sometimes I don't. He usually takes it out, sits it on top of the car. We finish the stop and I get a ticket. Don't get a ticket. He tells me what he needed. And then he hands me back my weapon and I drive off. And that's what's happened to me here. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's not the same experience for everybody, but it does make you pause and say, am I putting my life in peril, even though I'm following the law? Well, I appreciate how you've repeatedly said not all cops are bad and they're not I, I don't want to say that I don't think you want to say that but you do need to put the issue on the table especially for those of us who don't experience this ourselves. absolutely and it, the, the, they're not all bad I know great cops I know great cops that are honored to serve and I'm not talking about the black ones I'm talking about they're plenty my boy Wally I mean I, I know guys that I go to church with who are cops and they mm-hmm. take their job very seriously and they look at it as a, a role of protect and serve. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what they do. But in every walk of life, sometimes guys are in a job and they probably don't deserve to be there or they mm-hmm. shouldn't be there. They don't have the they don't have the mannerism. They don't have the resolve. They don't have the the calmness that you have to have and be able to make decisions in a split second that could end somebody's life. Yeah. I don't know that I have the disposition to be a cop. You know, so you know what? I didn't become one. So everybody that might be a cop might not be set out to be one. The only thing I've ever asked is if bad cops are rooted out, if they're smoked out of a hole, get rid of them, prosecute them. If they haven't done anything illegal, then they just need to go and not be cops. But it seems that we can't get past this fraternal order where they protect each other. And I don't look at the police officers any different than I look at any other walk of life, from football coaches to financial analysts to CEOs to preachers probably 95 percent of them are good but five percent of them are bad and that's kind of the way it goes yeah yeah that's true i I look at um i was a friend of the show guy named uh, james uh martin who's a catholic priest he was um 
he posted something about a, a guy from a, a Catholic church who was abused as a kid, and then he committed suicide. And then he was buried recently, or the funeral was in the very church that he was abused in. And that probably was something that he got a lot of flack for, for acknowledging the the systemic abuse. <clears throat> Sorry, man. Uh, the systemic abuse that his organization has allowed, perpetuated, and and hurt people with. Um, but he did the right thing. He, he acknowledges, puts it on the table, and that's how we move forward. And I think that's what you're calling for. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we can just build general conversations. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, it's, you know, I, I like T.D. Jakes. I like listening to him talk. And he, one of these things that he says is that if you are a Christian, you have to view that before I'm a man, I'm a Christian. Before I'm a woman, I'm a Christian. Before I'm a lawyer, I'm a Christian. Before I'm black, I'm a Christian. Before I'm this, I'm a Christian. If we view things that way, if, if being uh, in relationship with Jesus Christ is our filter, then I don't know how we don't want to do better. Hmm. I agree. That's good. I think we should end on that. All right. That's good stuff, man. I know you got to go to your second class interview that you've got to do now with this other publication. We'll see. We'll, like, we'll see if it airs. We'll see. We'll see. And uh, maybe next time we'll talk about something that's a, a little bit lighter, a little bit more fun. Like John Bones Jones, PEDs. Yeah. Can you believe it? I can't. I can't. Like, come on, man. But, I mean, uh, he's only thrown away, like, everything. I mean, he probably <laughs> cost himself $10 million because uh, he's scared of Daniel Cormier. You know, we should talk about this um, in your world sometime. We should. Yeah. Maybe we will. Maybe so. Thanks, buddy. All right, dude. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.